Welcome to the Ag Advocate Podcast, advocating for agriculturalists everywhere because, after all, we all need to eat. Doesn't matter who you voted for, doesn't matter what kind of beer you do or don't drink, in the next few days, in the next week or so, you're going to need to eat something. And it doesn't matter where you live, whether you live in St. Hedwig, Texas, New Braunfels, Texas, Republic thereof, or down under in the southern hemisphere of Australia, agriculture is a worldwide necessity. On episode one, Miss Brooke Reinecker wasn't sure if she was going to make that trip to Australia, but I'm happy to report everything worked out, and you're in for a treat today with a, just a great, another great conversation with this dynamic young lady talking about her trip to Australia. Chances are she's not the same girl you used to know. She is the president of the FFA Marion chapter in beautiful Marion, Texas. Brooke, I did the math. I asked my smart speaker on my phone, how far is Australia from St. Hedwig, Texas, Marion, Texas, South Texas, 10,000 miles away? You went there, Brooke, Australia. It's a different yes, place, sir, isn't it? Yes, sir, I did. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Well, good day, mate, I should say. Good day. Good day. Good day. That's something we picked up right off the bat, stepping off that plane in Sydney, Australia. And I will keep that with me forever and ever because it was used every single day we were there. So good day, mate, to everyone listening. And I hope you all are having a good day. My trip to Australia was nothing short of amazing. It started off with, like you mentioned, a very long flight from Little St. Hedwig, Texas, but it was a 16-hour direct flight, and we arrived along with 34 other amazing Texas youth livestock ambassadors that became family by the end of it. Well, let me ask you. You said the good day, mate. Was that was that their version of y'all? Hey, y'all. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily the version of y'all, but no matter where we went, it wasn't good morning, good afternoon, how are you doing? It was good day, mate. <laughs> it was just kind of a few words thrown together. Yeah. Y'all, I think they still stick to the you all. <laughs> you all, okay, okay. Um, we did as try as you, to rub off on some. <laughs> I'm sure y'all did. They, the, um, one of them, my, my you are American Go ahead. Oh, sorry. They said, no, you're Americanizing my language. And we were like, Americanizing, eh? <laughs> um, I told you um, off the air that, you know, I'd gone to Australia when I was in the Army. I was just a little bit older than you. And it was such a, a, a different opportunity. You just It wasn't a place that you expected to go. Now that you've been back, when you've told people about going to Australia, what's their reaction been? I mean, I, I have a great family. I have a big family. I've got friends. I've got people that I, you know, that I know. None of them have ever been to Australia. It really is a bucket list, box check kind of place, isn't it? Yes, sir, it is. And I won't say that I had it on my bucket list from the start, but it's definitely something that I've checked off. And every time 
I even mentioned going to Australia. Today, actually, at school, someone was jokingly saying, good day, mate. And I turned around and I said, I actually just got back from Australia. And <laughs> they do say good day, mate, quite frequently. And so uh, their reaction to that, they're just, you know, like, wow, like, that's crazy. It, you went all the way to Australia. And I think I still have a hard time following the fact that I've been there when my first time out of state was, only a year ago, and now I've been out of the country and got to experience agriculture on a worldwide level. So it is pretty mind-boggling for people who wouldn't expect that from anyone that they know very close and dearly, but uh, I think it's something that they're like, just tell me more. Australia, yeah. is it a desert there? Do you see kangaroos? <laughs> You see all of it, by the way. Um, you mentioned it. The, the agricultural part of the trip was the reason you went there. I was, I was struck by your, your Facebook post when you were coming home about the question that people ask you, does agriculture have a future? And, of course, you understand, as I do, well, it better have because we all have to eat. What, what did you learn about agricultural, agriculture in Australia that you found interesting, and what did the Australians learn from you? Yes, sir. I learned a ton, and it would take us several episodes to get through all of it. I even have my notebook here that we took notes in throughout the whole entire 10 days, and it definitely, I wrote in the whole entire notebook, and I finished until the very last page, but one thing that I really took away from Australia that I thought was like very satisfying to hear from them. One of the presenters actually, we were at a feedlot and they raised primarily Wagyu cattle. And, you know, nobody asked the question, do you believe in the future of agriculture? Because of course he was an agriculturalist and if he didn't believe, then he probably wouldn't be in the industry. But he had brought it up by himself and he said, you know, one of the biggest questions is, do you believe in the future of agriculture? And he, he didn't word it that way, but, you know, that's the way I like to word that question. Back when I did FSA, that was a question. And I think it's crazy because he said, I don't know why people, you know, they doubt the future of the ag industry because looking at this group of people in front of me and telling them what I know about the ag industry I know that it's in good hands. And the fact that y'all came this far to learn about agriculture on an international scale, there's no reason that we should not have hope for the future. And like you mentioned, you know, everyone has to have dinner at the end of the day, lunch in the middle of the day, breakfast in the morning, no matter what you're eating, it is linked to a agriculture product, no matter what way people skew the information. You know, it is coming from someone who put in time and effort that an agriculturalist or somehow within the industry that feeds us. Well, since you were over there for 10 days, speaking of breakfast, pick us through one of your typical days. What time did you wake up? What did you have for breakfast? Did you have any unique food experiences over there? And, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what was it like? That's a good question. I woke up around it really wasn't too bad at all. It was probably around 7 on average. And it was winter there, yeah. right? It's cold there right now, yes, right? it was. So people ask, you know, just how was it? I said, well, it was cool figuratively and literally because the weather was just my version of perfect. We woke up, and it was like 
45, 40 degrees in the morning, warmed up to 65, 70, and that is just mm. ideal in my eyes. And it just felt so awesome. Yeah. Walking off out of that Sydney airport and that cool air hit us, it was amazing. But then we got back, and I've told a few people this, but on the plane they still have their Australian accents, of course. And they say, <laughs> if you're coming back from, to Texas, welcome home. The current weather conditions are 30 degrees Celsius which they measure in Celsius, and 110 Fahrenheit. And we all looked at each other and said, no, thank you. We won't be getting off this plane. But so we would wake up, and it would, of course, be nice weather. But as far as breakfast, hash browns, we could always rely on those. The first morning, I probably honestly only ate hash browns because I did see a few things. I was like, what? For breakfast? (laughs) For example, baked beans, which I am a big Mm. beans fan, and I put some beans on my plate intending to eat them, but then once I took a bite, they were actually cold, and that was a thing, cold baked beans over there. And so that was one thing we could always also rely on the toast. They had really good jams and jelly for some reason. It probably was no different from over here, but... They have a very unique way the package opened, and I don't know how to describe it right now, but you just squeeze it on your toast, and it was just very convenient. So toast and hash browns was my go-to. They also had sausage, but I heard that I was mistaken for some of it to be Spam, which I was not a fan of, and I could definitely tell, but I also did not know it was Spam at the time, so I ate it, you know, not knowing, and then afterwards, when I figured out it was spam, I was like, oh, my gosh, I just ate spam. So that was one of the interesting things. They always had fruit. It wasn't much different from breakfast over here. Just the cold baked beans and Vegemite was also a huge factor that was definitely an Australian thing that I did not try because you did warn me. I did warn you. I did warn you. Stay away from the Vegemite. The Vegemite was terrible, and it's so funny that you brought up the spam because that was one of my unique experiences when I went to Australia because Spam is a very American food, but it became popular in Australia during World War II because all the American soldiers and Marines and sailors ate Spam. But, you know, for people like you and me that can get fresh meat almost every single day, uh, for people that never had Spam, just think about it as meat that is made out of shoe soles. It is not something you want to eat every day. It's not something you want to have for breakfast. But when I found it in Australia, I was surprised to find it. I do not remember the baked beans, but I absolutely remember the Spam, and I, and I did try the Vegemite, which is why I encouraged you not to try it. Now, um, he had a lot of Texans there in Australia. One of the things I experienced when I went to Australia about a million years before you were born, was that the Australians not only love Americans, they love Texans. Did you experience that? They do. They just had their arms wide open for us Americans to go in there from the States. And it is such a family-oriented feeling is the best way to describe it. And I will be the first to admit, me and some other some other of my friends on the trip, we actually started talking about possibly going back for an internship just because the operations that we went to, some of them, it was just like, they were, they just were so welcoming. And I was like, I could definitely see myself, you know, coming back 
and uh, experiencing this once again, but living here, I think it would be so cool just because it was very family-oriented, and they definitely have lots of love for us Americans, and we really appreciate it. But I will say that I have a lot of love for Australians too now because just the way they are and how they acted towards us. I just loved it. But the best way, I think, to describe that Vegemite is what I've heard from my people that I have uh, talked to that ate the Vegemite. They said that it was almost like a mineral tub, which we feed cattle who are lacking certain <laughs> minerals. It was like a mineral tub for, for cattle, but for us. So it does apparently have some vitamins there that we need. So that was one thing. And then dinner, lamb was very popular. Some of the people we talked to, they said that they would eat lamb on the weekly growing up. And <laughs> this is kind of funny. One of the big quotes was, during the summer, I wrote down several quotes, but they said, during the summer, we would have a nice lamb chop on the barbie, you know. And barbie, so yep. I wrote because barbie is the equivalent to bar- barbecue there. Barbecue, so, yep. yep. But uh, we had lamb. I had lamb several nights, and they know how to cook it. I think probably better than we do, even though I do like lamb. And that's kind of an unpopular opinion, but I do really like lamb. And over there, it was the best lamb I had ever eaten. They still have really good steaks. They grow Wagyu cattle over there, which are known for better marbling abilities at times. So that was very good as well. And dessert at every meal, at every dinner, I should say, lunch sometimes too, but dinner, always could count on a dessert they were going to bring out. I think they're also convinced to promoting sharing over there because every time we would be at a table, one person got, say it was a lamb chop, they got a lamb chop, and then the people besides them got a ribeye. And then the people next to the people who had the ribeye had a lamb chop. So it was like if you didn't want a lamb chop, then you were switching or you were sharing with someone, which a lot of times we shared because we wanted to taste everything. And then same for the desserts. If you wanted to taste both desserts, you were sharing plates. So I thought that was interesting as well. But uh, the food was good, and I had no complaints. It could have been much, much worse for someone who is uh, quite picky. Well, you know, you're an agriculturist. You've grown up on a farm. I've, I've learned in the year that I've been doing the other podcast that the agriculturists, they, they take that farming and the, and the management of the land and the livestock and everything very, very seriously. And it, it's supposed to be neat and orderly. Is that what you experience in Australia? It is a professional business agricultural over in Australia too, isn't it? Yes, sir. Without a doubt, it is. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's not just a job. People admit it is a lifestyle, and you get up, you do it, you know you have to, and that's your life. You know, you get it done, and you get paid at the end of the day, maybe depending on Mother Nature, if you're farming, as they call it, cropping over there. But, you know, they just get up, they get it done. They don't have a safety net to fall back on or rely on like we do over here or some most operations at least. They have subsidies here in the state, and they do not have subsidies. They do have some cropping insurance or farming insurance, but that really only goes for if they're 
their products got hailed on, and uh, that really on their production. But that's pretty much it as far as getting any any reassurance in terms of profit. So they don't have subsidies, which I thought was interesting, and that meant that they do it without hesitation. They get up, they get their job done, they do what they need to do for the people, for the community, for their family, and without question. And I thought that was interesting, but it definitely is a profession that a certain person has to take hold of to feed the population. When I came back from Australia, I brought with me a little tiny box of cereal called the Rice Bubbles. We call it here in the States Rice Krispies, you know, uh, Snapple Crap Pop, uh, breakfast cereal. And it was called Rice Bubbles in Australia because Krispies in Australia was kind of a slang for dandruff, and nobody wants to eat a bowl of dandruff for breakfast in the morning. Oh. I never, I never knew that farming was called cropping in Australia. And I think right there is an example of why it is so important for young people like you to go out there and travel the world because you can bring back such a unique perspective on the things that you learned about in Australia. Yes, sir, that's for sure. There were several terms that uh, we made note of because they were a little different. Combine was another one. We call it a combine. They call it a header, not just the front portion of the combine, but they call the whole entire machine a header. That was one. McDonald's, they called Macca's. Macca's <laughs> and had that labeled on the back of their shirts like we would here. It would say McDonald's, but it said Macca's. They had a Burger King, but it was called Hungry Jack, and the labeling was the same in everything. <laughs> so that was interesting. And then redheads, they call them Rangas. So all my mm. redhead friends started calling Rangas. Wow, that is awesome. Listen, I, it was, I, I could not wait to do this episode. As I mentioned, when I went to Australia, I was in the Army. I was prepared to go anywhere in the world. But Australia was not a place that I expected to go. And when I got to go, it's been a long time since I was there. I have not been back. Like you, I would absolutely go back if the opportunity uh, presented itself. As we wrap this up, as an ambassador from the great state of Texas and the United States of America and the agriculturalists in our great country, if you could sum it up in just a couple of lines, What did it mean for you at your age, young lady, senior in high school, what did it mean for you to go out there and represent American farmers and American agriculturalists and Texan FSA members to go halfway around the world, 10,000 miles around the world, to represent what you and your family have done here for generations? Life-changing. That's the best way to sum it all up in just a couple of words. Never, ever did I imagine I was going to go out of the country to study agriculture on an international scale, and I was able to do it in just a couple of months. I set a goal, and I am an avid planner user. I use it religiously. And I had made several goals that month, and it was when so many different applications were due the Pork Board Ambassador, the Pork Leadership Camp, 
um, the Texas Youth Livestock Master Advocacy Academy, State Convention Ambassador. So many things were going on. And I wrote down Australia application. And I honestly thought that I was not going to get selected because I'd only been an ambassador for one year and that there are so many amazing ambassadors that represent agriculture now on an international scale. There's so many amazing ones that have such different qualities and traits that everyone brings good to the table. And I just thought my chances were slim. And if I did, I was not going to know what to do. And then that day came, and I was actually over in uh, one of the sow barns, and my cousins, Cade Cass, and then my brother Reed were standing there, and I had gotten the email that I was selected, and it said, the email read before I even opened it, opened it, it, you have been selected to go on the International Agriculture Australian Experience. And I just screamed. You can ask them. I did not know what I was just like, you know, this is a dream come true, literally. And I just did not know what to do with myself. I was so excited. I knew that there was a long road ahead, which the future proves that with the passport and all. But God definitely, I would say the stars aligned, but it was definitely all of God's work that he did to let me go to all of it because, he led me in the right direction. He said to take this opportunity and just apply because I heard this at church the, the other day. You don't know if you can walk on water if you don't step off of the boat. And I did. I stepped off the boat. I applied for the Australian experience, and I got selected, and I went, and I will cherish the friendship that were with me on the trip forever and ever and ever in the future. And I'll use those to my advantage and stay friends with them because they truly have became family. But it really just was life-changing experience. Never in a million years did I think I was going to be able to see that. But like you said, check it off the bucket list and continue going for big, bigger and better things that I will – come back and bring to my home home country but uh, it really was just such a awesome opportunity that I will never forget the memories that we made because uh, we we spent the time well there and lots of the things we did I don't know if I'll ever get to do again so I will just always remember those things all the pictures I've taken of wild kangaroos and koalas and all the things, you know, you just, you can't replace those memories, that's for sure. And so I'm just very blessed that God allowed me to do that and my parents allowed me to do that. And the people that contributed money towards our trip, that they were a part of it. And the people who directly Venmoed my mom to help me out to get there and their experience, everything. It just can't thank them enough. And you for the passport and just being able. No, I played. I played a very small part in the whole thing. I played a very small part in the whole thing. I made one phone a call. Small but crucial part. A small but crucial part, Mr. Diaz. 
Well, listen, uh, that is a great way to put it, life-changing. Her name is Brooke Reiniger. She is the president of the FAA Marion High School FFA chapter in beautiful Marion, Texas, Republic thereof. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 2 of the Ag Advocate Podcast. What a great show. And the only way to wrap it up, Ms. Reiniger, is to say, good day, Mike. Good day. Before I wrap this up, I've got to send a quick shout-out to Brooke's uncle, Justin Reininger. Folks, he's not paying me to say this. I'm just going to say it. You live in South Texas. Your air conditioner is going to break down someday, and when it does, it's the worst day of the summer. Do not call those guys you've heard on television and the radio promising you some $39.59 service call. Call Justin Reininger. He came over yesterday and saved me over $800 with his honesty and his professionalism, and I will never call anybody else. Well, his niece that you just heard from, Brooke Reininger, what a great family. I'm telling you, talk about some generational greatness there. I presented that interview with almost no edits because that interview is so charming and so spot on and so earnest. And yet when I first listened back to it, I had a very unique reaction. I was angry, not at Brooke, not at myself. I was angry because somebody who works at the New York Times or you see talking on television every night, were they to see young Miss Reiniger in her element, in her milieu, in her, in her everyday life of taking care of the cattle out in the barn, out in the fields, they would assume she's just a country hick from St. Hedwig, Texas, and that is so inaccurate and that is so offensive that I was angry when I listened back to that interview. I'm not angry anymore. It's just that I know this. I talked about it when I met with the students at Marion High School. Are you aware of this misconception that all you have to do is throw some seeds on the ground and it's going to rain and you're going to have food? It is hard work. It takes a great deal of patience and wait for it, faith in God that things are going to work out the way they need to with rain and the health of your herd and the health of your crops. And these people have been doing it for generations. And if they don't, you and I go hungry. Another great interview. I can't wait to find out what we have in store for episode three. As I mentioned, you heard it in the podcast. I went to Australia when I was in the Army in 1987. I've never forgotten it, and that's a trip that young lady and her fellow agriculturalist will never forget either. Thank you so much for listening to the Ag Advocate podcast. My name is Jason Dyes, and until next we speak, I'll talk to you soon.